welcome listeners to Glam City. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. You can go back to the catalogue, listen to all the hits, everything from Nathan's sentence from the Australian Museum on decolonising the archives, or perhaps the episode with Mandy Sayer about the history of Australian gypsies. Uh, What Glam City is, is a show for all those interested in history in Sydney. So if you want to lift the lid on what goes on in our cultural institutions, this is the place to be. GLAM, of course, stands for Galleries, Libraries, Archives and Museums. My name's Tamsin Peach. And I'm Anna Clark. And on this episode of GLAM City, we are going to hear from historian, author and professor Ian Tyrrell. Welcome, Ian. Thank you very much, Tamsin. And uh, thank you, Anna, also for inviting me to the program. Ian is an Emeritus Professor of History at the University of New South Wales and a lecturer at the United States Studies Centre. And he has written a beautiful book, and I'm gazing at the front cover, which depicts some old men holding a uh, a fishing net with a lovely dog in front on the banks of the Cooks River. He's written a beautiful history about a much maligned place, the Cooks River. What prompted you to write this book, Ian? I suppose partly because I, I live fairly close to it. I don't actually live, I can't see the river from where I am, but I'm I'm in the valley. You can smell it. I can, can't, no, <laughs> the I'm miasma. actually outside the smell zone. No, it's a place where we used to take our dog to walk, for example. Uh, but I have a long history of association with rivers. I grew up near the Brisbane River. Um, I'm just attuned to rivers as places. And... Um, I used to love taking the ferry to University of Queensland when I was a student. And uh, at Oxford, I also liked walking the Thames and the Isis rivers. What is it about them that's special to you? It's probably the flow of the water, I think. It's also, I suppose, the people that you can meet along the river. Um, this is very noticeable that people with dogs talk to, a, they talk to one another along the river when they're walking their dogs. I'm interested in, you know, you describe growing up and being connected to rivers throughout your whole life. Is this the first river you've written about? Yes. And has it changed the way you think about those rivers in your life, the process of writing a history of them? I've certainly certainly enriched my understanding of the Cooks River and the Cooks River Valley so that I really can't go anywhere in the valley without thinking about what it was like 50 years ago or 100 years ago. I know, I know quite a lot about various places along the river now which people wouldn't, wouldn't know about because there aren't sufficient plaques along the river to tell them what was going on. Um, and But I find it fascinating to get new knowledge about that all the time. From talking to uh, people, feedback from my book has also been quite helpful in providing further information. Uh, I've, I don't know whether I would write another history of a river, um, but I, I certainly um, it certainly brings further engagement with the, the other rivers that I, that I know quite a lot about, and particularly the Thames, having just been in London. I, my experience there was enriched, I think, by having, by having uh, written the book. Mm. And, um, of course, I had used previous experience along that river in order to, to say things or to, to, to make points in the book. But having written the book, there were other things that I could think about. So it, it has enriched it in some ways, I think. How do you understand the kind of genre of this book? You've done a lot of environmental history before. Do you see this as an environmental history? I started out thinking of it as an environmental history. Um, it's partly cultural history. What I found was that it was necessary to write uh, about the people, 
that the river actually didn't mean very much to a lot of people unless it was the way that it was refracted through their own experience. Um, and I've increasingly come to that view. There obviously, there obviously is a physical history of a river to be told, but I don't think there are a lot of people out there apart from experts in particular, in particular scientific fields who are actually interested in that. It's, it is necessary to know about that and to supply it as background. But what makes people interested in rivers is the experiences that they have had of them. Mm. I became more and more interested in the river as a place, as somewhere which I could identify as a place and uh, that I, you know, I could feel as my own kind of place. So in a way, kind of writing the, writing the history of the river was a way of, of actually self-identification, of place-making for me. But it was also a way of exploring uh, the idea of place-making. And I decided that the Cooks River was a river in which there was an extraordinary amount of place-making going on. And the, re the reaction to the book has so far verified that. There are so many people who have stories about it, who know about it, who know about the long history of, of its um, various disruptions and alterations and of attempts to overcome mm. those, uh, the issues that f flowed from that, mm. if, I can, if you don't mind the <laughs> pun. Can we just, before we go any further, for those of us like me who are not from Sydney, could you tell us where the Cook River is? The, the Cooks, Cooks River, River is, uh, well, it's best described as being in southeastern Sydney, I have heard it described as in southwestern Sydney, but it, it runs approximately from uh, Yaguna and Chalora, round about where Rookwood Cemetery is, in a kind of arc round and down into Botany Bay uh, at Kaima. And it's only 23 kilometres long, so it's not a very big river, and a lot of it is tidal. So uh, it's, not, it's, it's not an important river in, in world history, I think one would have to say. And yet, the people who live around it and who, and the, it, they think it's mm. they think it's important, and it is important. Mm. Glam City: What's on for history in Sydney on Two SER one hundred seven point three and online. I'm interested in how you, as a historian, do that work of placemaking and and storytelling around this. Um, around the Cooks River, where, as you say, a lot of people are connected to it and a lot of people have stories about it. But perhaps a community history or something written, you know, in family histories or more vernacular tellings of the Cook R Cooks River would have been probably quite different to the sort of history that a historian has written. How, what did you... They, they are different. Yeah, what, what, do, what do you think you brought or what are the sorts of things you felt you needed to do to turn those connections and, and histories of place into this book? Well, I think that the main... Th there is a distinction between the way I, I have written about this river and the way uh, most of the uh, writing about the river or talk about the river has gone on. It tends to lack lack historical perspective, but but insofar as it recognises the long history of human engagement with the river, and of course it does because there are families who have lived for generations along that river or have, mm. or they may not live there now, but they grew up there and so on. Um, they tend to be episodic uh, encounters in the way that they are presented. They're fragments. Um, I must say that I did feel obliged in a way to try to provide a kind of an overview of change along the river uh, over over a long period of time in other words i i see the i see it as a kind of integration of environment and of people 
and the, a succession of changes which have occurred over time. And uh, I do this by trying to fit it into a, um, a sort of pattern of the way that humans encounter the environment. I actually started out by seeing the book as, as a kind of an exemplar for the way that humans in, in Australia have interacted with their environment. Mm. Um, it was only as I moved further into the study that I became more and more interested in the actual question of placemaking. It started out that I was interested in, in environmental destruction and then attempted rejuvenation or rectification of damage. The, 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 the kind of confrontation between settler society and the environment, that was really what initially interested me. And that kind of pattern can be applied to almost any any topic, I think, in Australian history. And broadly, it tells the history of how humans have interacted with rivers on a global scale. There isn't very much that's been done to this river that hasn't been done elsewhere. Um, it, there's not that many rivers that have had all of these things done mm. to them. What, what but is there that, are some. What is that pattern? Just to give a, a brief overview of how we humans... Do you mean the pattern of human interaction? Yeah, with the Cook River, with Cook's River. Well, the... The pattern is that people uh, started out with very uh, uh, clear ideas about how they wanted to modify the river in order to more, make it more like a river which would be suitable for settlement, uh, would be suitable to help the colony, for example, by building a dam across it to provide a water supply, but also to provide a pleasant uh, semi-rural environment for, for a sort of would-be gentry, as I put it. There was a fairly well-to-do area in the 1830s and 1840s, for example. So I talk about it in terms of a set of dreams which people tend, tend to implement. And over time, there's just been a succession of these attempts. And time after time, again, people have tried to, to, to manipulate the river for their own purposes. From the 1880s onwards, it tends to be an attempt to, to kind of rectify or modify the damage that has already been done by the building of the dam and by deforestation along the valley. But nevertheless, the changes that are then introduced comp compound many of the, what you might call, errors of early settlement. Uh, and that continues right down to modern ideas of canalizing the river, concreting it, or putting in steel piling and all those sorts of things. And is juxtaposed alongside an increasing bush regeneration movement of allowing swimming back in the Cooks River and so on. Exactly. So there's a sort yeah. of funny a parallel clash. of... There yeah. can be a clash there, although, of course, the work that's been done in bush regeneration is, uh, you know, makes people think that they will be able to ram more people in, I think. Mm. Um, it also gives people a false impression that they can really undo all of the damage that they have done before and um, therefore that we can go ahead with uh, further development. Uh, I, don't think that, I don't think it's very practical given what I talk about in the last chapter, mm. which is, of course, about the long-term future of the river and the issue of climate change. Apparently, you were warned off during your research uh, to do this project. What what was that warning? Yeah, that's true. I don't mean um, warned off with kneecapping. I mean no, no, warned no. off. No, <laughs> no. Well, that could have happened too. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the, in an earlier period in Marrickville's yeah, history. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, um, I attempted to go onto the uh, Strathfield Golf Course to follow the course of the river round. And there were golfers there who, in no uncertain terms, told me that to... Uh, you know, piss off, essentially, without, 
engaging in any more colourful language <laughs> than that. Um, I had a camera with me. Uh, as you, you may or may not know, you can't actually follow the whole yeah, course of the river. that's right. And that's really what I was attempting to do. Because you wouldn't... You can't do it. Yeah, it's, very, it's also impossible to do on a kayak, so the only way really is to walk it if it were... You can't. Feasible, yeah. You can't. You can walk large sections on yeah. it. But as I explained in the book, even those are truncated. Yeah. And the experience of them is very different when you have you have to negotiate so much of the airport traffic, for mm. example, to get between the lower sections and the middle sections of the river. And um, those angry golfers aside, who do you think is the audience for this this project, this research, and th- these stories? I hope that it will be people who are interested in environmental change in Australia and in the um, the settlement process and how people attempt to come to terms with that to adjust their uh, ideas about what can be done with a river um, and, and that, it w- that it will be a bit of an antidote in a way to ideas of environmental declension that everything gets worse and worse and worse <laughs> by telling the stories of people who have worked to... Um, to actually either undo the damage or at least to compensate for it in various ways. So that's one audience, I think. But it, it, it clearly has an, a local audience because of the people who care about the river and know something about its history and have, from, the, from the feedback I've already had, find it very, very interesting that, um, that they can place their own activity within a larger context. <laughs> You're listening to Glam City on 2SER 107.3 and we are here talking to Ian Tyrrell about his book River Dreams, which is about the Cooks River in Sydney. To download this show, head to 2SER.com or your favourite podcast app and look for Glam City. This show is made by the Australian Centre for Public History at UTS with support from 2SER. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find us. One thing that struck me about the way we're talking is, you know, compared to those older maps of rivers that were made, I'm thinking here about Henry Thoreau's um, engineering Mm. work before he, you know, wrote about Walden Pond. They're maps made from the river. And the maps now we have of rivers tend to be these maps from the banks even or from Mm. the sky. Um, Mm. How do you, how did, I mean, you're talking about trying to walk along the banks of the river, which is impossible, Mm. or to travel its course, which you can't do on the water. Uh, Has that fundamentally changed the way we can think about what water does and is to our cities? I think it does, yes. I I haven't really thought of it in precisely that way, but having been on an inspection tour on the Cooks River up to up as far as the Canterbury Bridge, I, and having recently done a similar inspection tour on the Thames, uh, I can say that you get a quite different picture than you do because you can see... Uh, well, it's, it's obvious in the case of the Thames, but perhaps it's, it can be inferred in the case of the Cooks. You can see more the importance of rivers in our history. We must remember that uh, almost all settlement in Australia has has been associated with some kind of river. It really has to be because without fresh water we can't do anything. And the original intention to have 
a settlement at Botany Bay and specifically um, using water from the Cooks River was based on the idea that there would be sufficient fresh water for such a settlement. That wasn't true and so Philip decided to move the settlement to Port Phillip although he didn't move it there for that reason because the supply in, uh, in Sydney Harbour was not adequate either. But we need rivers. We need fresh water. Yes, we can get it from wells, but very often in Australia, those wells are too saline to use for drinking water. So settlement has tended to be in rivers. Transport was around rivers. Uh, the idea of on the Cook, uh, altering the Cooks River was to turn it into a transport hub by turning it into a canal, which would be like British rivers, which were being used as canals in the 19th century. So you know, for all of those reasons, rivers are really central to human civilization. They're, they're the high, they were the highways of the 19th century. And you don't get that impression when you go by rail to, for example, from London to Hampton Court, rather than by boat, as I've just done. Mm, mm. Um, and, and, and I think that's also true of the Cooks River. Um, people were very dependent on water, they did get water from the river. They got water particularly from the streams that were, that went into it, which were freshwater streams. Mm. But that that was essential to farming in the area in the nineteenth century. Um, so rivers were very very important, and we do we do look at them very differently today. I was so struck by that notion that people were dependent on the river, and mm. you know when you travel by rail. You don't have a sense that humans are dependent on the environment in the way that you do when you're having That's this right. embodied connection to, to the exactly. river. And that mind shift seems to be at the heart of so much of our pro- problems about exactly exactly so there are, there are other sources of water but rivers have tended to be where human civilization has been we do look at it very differently mm. and i don't think it can be anything other i think the paths along the river are a help and certainly Kayaks can go, and other boats can go a certain way up the Cooks River, and so it's got recreational value. But it has no utilitarian purpose anymore. Glam City, what's on for history in Sydney on 2SER 107.3 and your favourite podcast app. And is that, um, I'm interested in that sort of 19th century dream, if you like, which you talk about in your book about, you know, making it like a river from home. Mm. Obviously, that displaced a community of river dreamers, of Indigenous people before them. What were some of the um, connections, Aboriginal connections that you have found during your research? And also, for how long after settlement and those big changes to the river did those connections endure? And are they still ongoing? Um, I think if we if we talk about the Cadigal clan, um, there still are connections. We do know that from the primary source evidence that a considerable proportion of the clan was uh, was wiped out by disease or possibly by um, other means that we can we can sort of speculate about. Um, but there has been a fairly continuous Aboriginal connection of some kind along the River Valley for all of that time. Even but, as it was being modified? and Yeah, um, well, there were Aboriginal people living along the river which have been documented as late as the early 20th century. And then after World War II, there are other Aboriginal people moving in. People from the Gadigal clan undoubtedly moved and joined up with other clans in the surrounding area. 
you know, unfortunately, the kind of traditional primary source evidence for this is uh, is is fairly slight. Which, and I think we can sort of assume that there was more. There was more Aboriginal um, uh, involvement than has often been suggested. But from my point of view, the point that has to be made is that Aboriginal people did not modify the river almost out of existence the way that that Europeans did. There are dramatic transformations in the river from the 1830s through to the 1960s. Do you think the river today is recognisable as a sort of an imprint of what it was? In a superficial sense, it is recognisable because it's tidal the way it was once more now that the dam's been down since 1967. It is clothed with mangroves up to about uh, Campsie. It, it has the same sorts of wildlife that it had. The birds, uh, the pelicans, for example, are still to be seen, although not as, probably not as many as there were. The bird life is still there and so on. Um, it's got a lot of superficial similarities, but the course of the river is different because of the situation of Sydney Airport. Sydney Airport obliterated the lower course of the river and shortened the length of the river, which changed the tidal flow and caused certain kinds of erosion, etc. And the banks are not what they were, of course. Uh, The banks are... are, There are are a lot of sandstone banks that have been put in over the last 10 years or so, for example. There are older brick banks... But a lot of these are actually hidden by the mangroves. But I should also say that the mangroves are only of one type. Um, There was more diversity in the mangrove population with uh, another species of river mangrove which existed in the uh, pre-European and early colonial time, which is not to be seen. And what about the water quality? Uh, You say in the book, if there were any more metal in the shellfish, you could mine them. When did the river become I was quoting, You were uh, quoting, a, yeah. A government report in the 1970s, which government reports are not usually noted for their humour, but that I thought was rather funny. Um, and there are a lot of statements like that which we could talk about that are rather funny. Uh, what is it like now? Um, the, the sediments of the river undoubtedly still got a lot of metal in them, a lot of heavy metals. Um, so there are still a lot of problems. Um, but um, the... Main problem since, in say, the last 20 years have actually been uh, leaking sewerage pipes and stuff like that. And f- and from that, pharmaceuticals pharma- uh, leaking into the into the river. I, f- I, w- I was jogging recently along the river and I saw someone fishing and they pulled out a flathead. Um, and I didn't see if they were keeping it or not, but I assume that's still a long way away, isn't it, to be safely... Yes, I, well, I think so, yes. Um, as far as I can tell, it is. Uh, and it would... as it, I don't think it would be unsafe to swim in the river, except for the fact that in getting through the extraordinary amounts of mud, you know, you wouldn't find that very pleasant and you never know what's in that mud. For example, it might be a car. hypodermic needle or a car <laughs> or something like that. So there could be some metal in there. If you step on it, you could have a dangerous injury. Actually swimming in there, well, dogs swim in the swim in the river. In fact, if you don't mind me telling a joke about this, one of the bits of feedback I've had is that one of uh, a neighbour said that her father told her that their dogs never got fleas because they swam in the Cooks River. <laughs> 
This was in the 1960s and 1970s. Yeah. All of the DDT. I wish I could have put that in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, now, what else is remarkable about this book is that it's full of great stories about characters. And one that struck me particularly was Willie the Boatman, which I know about because it's now a craft, the name mm, of a craft beer. Yes, but it is. Who's, who was Willie the Boatman? Well, he was a, a convict um, who um, worked for Spark, uh, Alexander uh, Spark, who was the um, uh, leading uh, gentry figure on the river and the person who had Tempe, what is now called Tempe House, built in the 1830s. And um, he used to row Spark across the river late at night. In fact, there's an early painting by Conrad Martins where you can see a little skiff on the river. And that skiff uh, appears to have, well, it has a person in it doing the rowing. And uh, that person may well be Willie the Boatman, but we don't actually know that. We don't have a picture. We don't know that for sure that's what it, it might just be purely uh, imaginary on the part of Conrad Martins. But he was, he was, that's what he was employed to do. He got into a lot of trouble from time to time but from Spark because he would sort of get drunk and so on. And in fact, that's probably how he died by, by being drunk and uh, falling over and having a seizure of some kind, as they called it at that time. But there are so many fantastic stories like this, Ian, um, in this book, River Dreams, The People and Landscape of the Cooks River. It's been great to talk to you. Can I just say uh, the book is actually called River Dreams, and I say that because Billy Joel has an album, I think, which is called River of Dreams, and if you Google River of Dreams, it's very hard to find my book. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that clarification. That brings us to the close of Glam City for today. If you'd like to hear more from us, head to the 2SER website. That's 2SER.com. And you can also search for us in your favourite podcast app. And hit us up on Twitter. You'll find me, Anna, and uh, at Anna Hope Clark. And and me, Tamsin Peach, at Cap and Gown. Thank you, Ian, for such a terrific discussion about your book, River Dreams, A History of the Cooks River. This podcast is made by the Australian Centre for Public History with the support of 2SER 107.3. Thank you. Thank you. Glam out. Glam out. Glam out. Thank you.